Chapter Fourteen of The Princess and the Plowman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The Princess and the Plowman. Chapter Fourteen. The hand of God deals gently with each of His children but most gently of all with the sleeping soul of a woman touching her closed eyelids with caressing fingertips of dawn bringing her by slow and exquisite degrees to a knowledge of the day which is the external day of love that day which can never be utterly clouded by mortal night nor lost in the soundless abysses of death if there be anything that shall endure from everlasting to everlasting it is love and herein is a mystery not to be wholly known from eternity to eternity for it is eternity itself and the sum of all things that have been that are and that are to be mary could have explained to no one least of all to herself the subtle process by which all other images in her soul were replaced by one upon which she gazed in silence she was not yet wholly aware that she loved her husband she knew only that his face was always before her that she longed for it with a strange and painful longing that his voice sounded in her ears by night and by day and that life without him appeared dead and worthless yet she was none the less resolved upon her original project because he expected her to go to hawaii she was bound to go there by every strong compelling impulse of her soul felice vivian no longer indeed the central sun of her girlish firmament had become its pallid moon and to her she turned yearningly in this strange new turmoil of soul which had come upon her unawares we shall go soon now felice she wrote you must come to me here and we will arrange everything for our immediate departure at the beginning of the year i am longing so to be gone to be doing what we must do every night i mark off the day on the calendar the way we used to do when we were in college and waiting for the holidays do you remember dear miss vivian did remember and stamped her small foot in a sudden access of impatience then she put forth many sheets of violet-tinted paper and sat her down with a very becoming pucker between her pretty brows to her task of final disillusionment my dear old honey-pot she began remorsefully i hardly know how to tell you what i must tell you but it's got to be said and the sooner the better i've been hoping and waiting for something to happen far different for you mary i did think you would see after a while the difference between a stiff pokerish college president for the sweetest of them are bound to grow stiff and pokerish in the course of years you know they simply can't help it and the best beloved of the best beloved that is the only real true life for a woman mary and you can be that dear you ought to be that really when i think of everything i wonder at you i believe if you could have seen the way he snatched at your letters 
just as a starving man would snatch at bread even your stony heart would have been touched the queer thing about it all to me is that your heart isn't really stony not one bit you're just made to be loved and to love mary and when i think of the sweet affection you've lavished upon me all these years i feel like a wretch for i can't go to hawaii with you there the truth is out at last i've been dreading to tell you and expecting all sorts of wild things to turn up hasn't he written to you in the first place daddy wouldn't allow it he says it's utterly foolish for two girls of our age to even think of attempting such a thing he says that if a college for women is ever built in hawaii which he doubts but i don't it must be done by the people themselves and because they want it there are lots of rich planters and merchants there who could do for the hawaiian girls what matthew vassar and henry durant did for us and it's their place to do it i put daddy's veto first because well because i dread to tell you the other reason but honey you know i've warned you all along that you were leaning on a broken reed in me i do love you dear even more than in the old days when we were in college together but there's no use of denying that i love somebody else better perhaps you've guessed it already i've tried to make you ask me questions and i've all but told you a dozen times if you weren't so so blind you dear old honeypot you would have seen long ago that i loved henry caldwell please forgive me dear i couldn't help it and i wouldn't help it if i could i see so much clearer than i used to do and i know mary that there isn't any happiness half so dear as the happiness i have now and to think this is only the beginning i want you to be my maid of honor mary or rather my matron of honor you'll have to be that won't you the wedding will take place in january and you must come and stay with me at least a month beforehand because we are going abroad on our wedding tour and henry says we may not return for a year i want you to see my house too oh mary i shall have such oceans to tell you when you have said you forgive me for disappointing you so away down deep in my heart of hearts i can't believe i'm disappointing you so much if you'll only call things by their right names mary you'll see that you don't want to sail to the sandwich islands any more than i do what you really want is but i leave this for you to find out for yourself do try honey with heaps and heaps of love you're always devoted felice there murmured miss vivian with a great sigh of relief i'm thankful that's off my mind yes mother dear answering a maternal tap at the door i'm coming right away did you say miss gubbins advises valenciennes or the french hand embroidery on the petticoat i think i should like both no not on the same petticoat dear but on another i shall need heaps of them you know i've written to mary mother and i've asked her to spend a month with me before the wedding but honestly i shan't cry if she doesn't come she is so well so wearing and i know i ought to save myself all i can it's my duty 
i don't approve of mary chirped mrs vivian comfortably but your father admires her he says all she needs is a firm hand over her to develop her into a really fine woman your father is so masterful i have always had to manage him with the greatest tact felice giggled pleasantly daddy is an old dear she said with decision and he is quite right about mary but she'll never think of such a thing as managing her husband she'll just glory in being mastered if the time ever comes i'm sure i hope so said mrs vivian she hasn't a particle of tact mary read felice's letter the next morning and shed a few quiet tears over it that they were tears of resignation rather than a bitter disappointment she vaguely realized but it would still be lonelier in hawaii without felice she grew very pale as she contemplated her own inexorable resolution then for perhaps the hundredth time she read her husband's letter i wonder she said aloud if this is an evil or annoyance he said that i should tell him when the day came and i should so like to tell him timidly she raised her letter to her lips then all glowing with lovely shame bowed her face upon it she was slowly pondering felice's words if you could have seen the way he snatched at your letters just as a starving man would snatch at bread if he had asked me to write to him she sighed that same afternoon jerome chantry called it was quite characteristic of mary that it had not occurred to her to refuse to see him on the occasions of his frequent visits she came into the room with a light in her eyes and a delicate flush of colour in her serious face which stirred jerome's middle-aged pulses to a quicker beat she is growing more beautiful every day he told himself exultantly she would be stunningly handsome as mrs chantry gowned as mrs chantry should be gowned his eyes roved over her tall slight figure with the coolly critical gaze of proprietorship he was thinking of a certain sumptuous ermine-lined garment he had chanced to notice in a furrier's window that day it would suit the future mrs chantry admirably he detained her hand in his own smooth palm while he said i have something important to tell you mary she did not reply but her troubled eyes fell before his ardent gaze jerome noted this with approval he felt that it augured well for his success i have been out of town to-day in this bitter weather he began cautiously i very nearly congealed en route upon my word yet i'm glad i went and i hope you will be too mary i er have had an interview with your with the person who succeeded in persuading you into the extremely ill-advised marriage last summer i refer of course to mr ghent you have seen him he perceived the quick start of amazement and the tide of rosy colour which swept over the girl's fair face and interpreted it according to his inmost convictions which were as usual extremely complimentary to himself is he did he stammered mary piteously the tumultuous beating of her heart choked her she clenched her slender hands tightly in her lap and took refuge in silence 
i had a most important interview with ghent this morning went on mr chantry broadening his chest impressively one which i trust will result in your future happiness and permanent well-being mary i need not add that both are most dear to me it will be unnecessary i think for me to enter at length into all the details of that interview i will merely state he paused to feast his eyes greedily upon the lovely appealing face of his listener is he well asked mary timidly the man pursed up his lips frowningly i confess that i take no particular interest in ghent beyond but of course i er appreciate your motives in inquiring really it is awfully good of you to ask mary the fellow doesn't deserve it but is he well you saw him hm ah he seemed well enough i should say i never saw the man before and by jove i hope i never run across him again mr chantry scowled reminiscently mary eyed him anxiously did he seem very unhappy she asked i should say that was neither here nor there cried mr chantry warmly though it's like you mary to have thought of inquiring upon my word i don't believe there's another woman of my acquaintance who would have done it under the er circumstances you know but i like to see a woman kind-hearted and considerate i do indeed he leaned back comfortably in his chair at the conclusion of this speech and regarded his listener with a pleasantly indulgent expression of countenance do you know he observed softly that you have been growing handsome tremendously fast of late you're not the same woman you were six months ago it's astonishing mary flashed a look of haughty displeasure at him from under lowered lids why did you go to see my husband she demanded coldly i've already told you why i went responded jerome he seemed lost in admiration of the charming face before him upon which he gazed uninterruptedly it was entirely on your behalf mary and i was successful perfectly successful ghent is quite ready to release you from even the shadowy claim he has upon you i was pleased to find him upon the whole so reasonable he's a disagreeable chap though very mary's face whitened slowly you you asked him to-to release me she faltered what right had you how dared you jerome seized his opportunity with the headlong impetuosity of a younger man i have the right of one who has loved you long and devotedly he murmured fervently i dared because you are unhappy can you deny it mary i you are unhappy dear girl i could not help but see it i told ghent so and he her face suddenly glowed more with lovely colour you you told him that i was unhappy she asked breathlessly certainly i told him so and very plainly i'm not one to mince my words when there is an important issue at stake what did he say he said as any decent fellow would have said under like circumstances what can i do to help her and then and then i said to him 
it is your plain duty to release her he agreed to this he was reasonable enough as i said but deucedly disagreeable and churlish i finally told him he was no gentleman he drove me to it but i got the better of him at last though mary's white teeth were clenched upon her lower lip how could you oh how could you she cried mr chantrey's shrewd attention became suddenly riveted upon her do you know he said at last i can't quite understand the way you're taking this mary it's quite impossible that you should care anything for Ghent after the way he has treated you i i he was very good to me and i the man's eyes searched her pallid face i asked him point-blank if he cared for you he went on deliberately i love you mary and i made no secret of the fact to him i put the question plainly for i felt it was my duty to do so before pushing my claims and he he said the girl's voice was a low wail of pain jerome chantrey leaned forward in his chair his voice was caressing and full of pity tell me this one thing mary did ghent ever tell you that he er loved you did he ever speak one word of the sort to you no oh no then listen to me my poor girl he never will tell you so he is perfectly willing to release you i have his word for it he demands only that you shall ask for your release the marriage as i understand it was contracted solely for your own benefit and convenience and ghent ungenuously insists that you shall humiliate yourself to the extent of asking him for its undoing i am sorry for you mary it cuts me to the heart to see you grieve and i beg to assure you that i did my best to move him from his resolution but in vain he is a churlish fellow a sullen resentful stop cried mary she was trembling violently but she faced him with a sort of frozen calm jerome deliberately unfolded a large white paper which he produced from an inner pocket i have been at some pains to make it all as easy as possible for you mary he said compassionately i knew how you would feel regarding the matter and i said as much to ghent mary is a proud and sensitive woman i said she will suffer under this cruel demand of yours but he was inexorable now i have drawn up a paper here which i am going to ask you to sign it is merely a brief but exact compliance with his demand and your signature will be all that is required to render it effective everything else can be quickly arranged and it shall be done with just as little annoyance to you as possible you may trust me dear girl to look out for that he was stooping over her almost caressingly the paper in one hand a fountain pen in the other mary could feel his heated breath upon her cheek she seemed strangely bound stupefied helpless in the coils of his determined will you may sign here he murmured softly and pressed the pen into her cold hand be brave dearest for my sake and your own 
she started to her feet with a gasping moan pushing him from her with a violent gesture of repulsion i love him she cried god help me i love him once more he stood listening to her hurrying feet upon the stair a look of beast-like fear and hatred distorting his large face then quite calmly and deliberately he stooped to search for and recover his fountain pen which mary had swept from his hand he examined its nib with anxious concern restored it to its case and the case to his pocket this much accomplished he smiled thoughtfully the smile was not a pleasant thing to behold even peters was startled by it as he majestically showed mr chantry to the door he's a devilish deep sort of a chap i'm thinking reflected peters as he fingered the banknote mr chantry had pressed into his hand on entering the house i wonder what he's up to with miss mary that i do poor little missy there don't seem to be anybody to take her part end of chapter fourteen recording by john brandon